Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Eastridge Church East Campus Podcast, where we take the message portion of our Sunday services and we put them in a convenient podcast form for you to listen to anytime, anywhere. This message here is going to kick off our three-week series called Aftershocks. You know, we go through traumatic and painful events, and we think we're good once we've gotten through those events, but we don't realize that some other things crept in as a result, the aftershocks to those events. Things like depression, substance abuse, um, anger, spiritually drifting, those things can set in. And like I said, we may not even realize it. So in this three-week series, we're going to dive into those. We're going to give you some tools to help you overcome those aftershocks. All right, guys, let's go. So we started a new series today called Aftershocks. And, um, you know, as I was watching some of the events about 9-11 yesterday, I think what stood out to me the most was the family members, um, you know, kids that grew up without parents, uh, people that didn't get to say goodbye that day, or they talked about the phone calls they received from people on the airlines. And, I mean, just how they just had this traumatic um, aftershock because of this traumatic event, you know, that happened. Um, look at COVID. Look at 2020. I mean, how, how that has changed our world. Or, or you think about this, people that survive earthquakes, a lot of times they'll survive the earthquake, but it's the, it's the aftershocks that, that hit them or, or where people get damaged or, or, or even killed. You look at uh, Hurricane Ida, very few people were killed as it went through, but it was later when they got out, it was the, the aftershocks, so to speak, the dangers that happened, the flooding that happened. Aftershock is a, an after effect of a distressing or traumatic event. As we learn to, to move through this COVID world, we're finding a, a new sense of normal. I don't like this new normal. Do you like this new normal? It seems like it's constantly interrupted. It's a new normal of, of interruptions. But we're having to figure out how, how to navigate this. But what we're really seeing is the aftershocks that, that are in full force. It's not so much COVID. A lot of people have survived COVID. But it's the aftershocks that we're seeing that affect us mentally and they affect us emotionally. They affect us spiritually and, and even physically. And some of these, they come in the form of alcoholism. They come in the form of loneliness. They come in the form of depression. They come in the form of, of substance abuse. They, they come in the form of uh, sexual addiction. And just even drifting. Man, I, I, I talk to believers a lot of times, and they just it's not that they just feel numb. They just sort of feel like, oh, my zeal's gone, or I've, I've drifted a little bit away from the Lord. Here's some stats about what's happened since the, the pandemic began. Alcohol use is up 55% since the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, opioids overdoses, they're up 29% since the start of the pandemic. 
Online pornography use is up 37% since the start of the pandemic. Barna Group says it's like 75% of Christian men look at porn uh, about once every month, or 40% 40 of Christian women do. Depression is three times greater since the start of the pandemic. And during the height of the shutdowns of 2020, the suicide hotlines calls were up 600% on average in the United States. 13 million people seriously think about suicide every year, but only 2 million of them call the hotline, reach out for help. And in Georgia, someone dies by suicide about every six hours. And among our military and our veterans, suicide is up 20%. Bad news. Bad news is you may be thinking, I'm, I'm one of those statistics. Here's the good news. You don't have to be. Hey, I, I want you to hear this. If you said, man, I fall in to, to one of those groups and, and, man, my life is drifting or I feel like I'm sexually addicted or I'm, my alcohol use is up or my depression is greater, I want to say this. There is good news for you in Jesus Christ. You don't have to be one of those statistics. You don't have to be. Now, you may be thinking, Scott, I'm so disgusted with myself, though. I am so undeserving of any type of, of grace. Read a, I read a book recently by a guy named Dane Ortland, and I want to share this quote. He says this, time and again, listen, this is good news, all right? Time and again, it's the morally disgusting, it's the inexcusable, it's the undeserving who do not simply receive Jesus' mercy, but to whom Jesus most naturally gravitates to. He is by this, the testimony of his enemies. He is the friend of sinners. I want to tell you, who does Jesus gravitate to? He gravitates to those who are broken, who need forgiveness, and need help. So if you fall in one of those statistics, here's the good news, man. Jesus gravitates towards you. You have the eye of the Holy One of God. You have the eyes of the Son of God on you. And listen, He's not full of disdain towards you, and He is full of compassion towards you. Man, all of heaven is filled with compassion for those who are hurting, those who feel trapped, those who are depressed, for whatever statistic they may fall in. So the great news is this. Next three weeks, we're going to be looking at how to overcome. Now, we're only going to spend three weeks. Man, Sub Recovery spends every, every Thursday night of the year going through these, okay? But we're just going to spend three weeks here. And we're going to talk about how do you overcome? How do you find freedom when the mind is just racing and, and giving yourself all these negative thoughts? Listen, I want to say one more time, there's great news. Hope and life changed in Jesus Christ is still found. You can still have it even during these aftershocks. But here's the very first step. All right, first step is this. We admit that we are powerless over our addictions and compulsive behaviors and that our lives have become unmanageable. I'm getting ready to read a verse of Scripture that I think everybody relates to more than any other Scripture. It may not be the most memorized Scripture, but I think everybody can relate to it. Paul says this, 
I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. Here it goes. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Can you relate to that? I have the desire not to eat another little Debbie. But I can't carry it out. That, that's not me. That's some of y'all. We, we have this desire to, to live righteously. We have this desire to live purely or, or with holiness. We had this desire to, to do the right thing. But can't carry it out. Well, Jesus says, if you know that about you, that's good. Because he says in Matthew 5, 3, happy are those who know that they are spiritually poor. Happy are those who know that they are spiritually poor. They know it. Well, here's a problem. You know, um, too often, we're just not honest with ourselves. We, we just won't be honest with ourselves, and we will deny the truth. It's really not an issue. It's really not a problem. Denying the truth does these three things. Denying the truth always has a cost. It, it disables our feelings. There's this loss of energy. And it also negates growth. And second, Peter. Peter's talking. He says, they. Now, when he says they, you gotta, who, who's he talking about? He's talking about these people that say this, that Jesus is not the Son of God. And, you, and these people, they live these depraved lives. And, and sin's okay. Sin, sin doesn't matter. He says, they promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of sin and corruption. And listen to this last sentence. For you are a slave to whatever controls you. Whatever controls you. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, my issue didn't make the list, you know? My issue didn't make the alcohol or the sexual addiction or the depression or, you know, whatever, whatever else was. So can I ask you a question? How often do you pick up your cell phone? Oh, preacher, you done going to meddling now, you know. What about how much time do you spend on social media? Are you a people pleaser? The pleasures of this world, and look, I did not preach against little Debbies a minute ago, okay? But the pleasures of this world, whether it's known sin or just socially acceptable behavior, which can become sin, can make us slaves. We become slaves to whatever controls us. So denying the, the truth, it always has a cost. Denying the truth, it also isolates us from God. And listen, you know what happens then? That's when we feel that spiritual drift. First John, he says this. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but we go on living. Now he's talking about walking in this consistent pattern of sin. He says we, we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness, we're not practicing the truth. But if we're living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Did, did you hear that? The blood of Jesus, His Son, 
cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, now the church is really, really good about this. We act like we never sin. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. Here's what I've seen. People that who are, are, are wrapped up, trapped, controlled by a, an issue, a sin, a, an addiction, whatever it may be, not only are they good at fooling others, they're really good at fooling themselves. They're, I just realized we got a little Debbie salesman sitting in here in the room. <laughs> you and I are good. <laughs> I will go buy one today just to support you, all right? So the sad truth is, we're not only great at, at fooling other people, we're really good at fooling ourselves. We're basically saying, you know, I have no sin. And when we say we have no sin, what we're really saying is, I have no need of Jesus. I have no need of his advocacy. I have no need of him helping me. I have no need of that. And when we just say, I have no sin, at that point, we've sort of isolated, we've sort of moved away from God. Let's be honest with ourselves first. The person we lie to most is ourselves. I got this. This is not an issue. This is not a, a problem. I'm going to ask you to do something just to yourselves. I'm going to ask you to, to finish one of these sentences, okay? And, I, and I, I'm going to say both of them, okay? And I, I'm going to tell you what they are ahead of time. Uh, one of them is if, you, if you're addicted to something, what do you think it might be? Or if you're struggling with something, what do you think it might be? So here it is. How would you end this sentence if it's, you had to, if you're addicted to something, I'm addicted to, and maybe it's one of the things in the, the stats that I read, or maybe it's something totally different, or I'm struggling with maybe depression or anger, it's drifting. What we normally do and I can speak from my own experience as this. I got this. I got this. It's not an issue. And it keeps us from enjoying the relationship with the one who is full of compassion towards us, the struggling one, the one who sent his son for us, the one who wants to help us, the one who's eager to, to jump in and rescue us. And when we deny it, we're keeping him at bay. So denying the truth also does this. It alienates us from our relationships. Here's what he says in Ephesians 4.25. Stop telling lies. Let's tell our neighbors the truth, for we're all parts of the same body. Lying destroys intimacy. Now, when people think, hear that word intimacy, I was told one time, don't use the word intimacy in a sermon. People think about, you know, sex between married people. Well, grow up, okay? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's more than that, all right? Men, I know we live at a junior high level. Let's go to, let's go to you know, 25 years old for a second. 
It destroys intimacy. It destroys oneness. It destroys unity. Not just in marriage, but, but in all relationships. Especially in the church family. You know what? We, we walked in here today. When we walked in here to a church building today, you know what we're saying? Hey, I used to be dead in sin. And I, you know what? I still struggle with sin. I still have a, I need a Savior. I still need Jesus. I still need his, Him helping me. I still, I still need the blood of Jesus to, to, to cleanse me from sin. I still need to confess to Jesus. Doesn't mean I'm not saved. It's just we're going to battle sin until we to get to the other side. But what we don't have to be, though, is addicted to it. We don't have to be in the throes of it. But we all did this when we walked in. Hey, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. How many of y'all did that? Raise your hand. How many answers good? Now, don't raise your hand. How many of it is not good? It's just not good. You, you yelled at your kids like you shouldn't. Nobody should yell at their kids on the way to church this morning, right? Or maybe you're thinking, I can't believe I'm going here because if people really knew me, they wouldn't let me in. Lying keeps us from being known. And when we're not known, when we're not fully known, we're not fully loved, and when we're not fully loved, we, we can't be helped. God designed the church to not only serve one another, but to encourage one another, to support one another, to, to love one another, to, to pray for one another, to, to, to walk beside one another. And everyone wants to be accepted, and everybody wants to be known, and everyone wants to be loved. But what keeps us from that is we hide our struggles. We're just afraid. Now, you don't have to let everyone know, but you ought to be able to let someone know. You ought to be able to let someone know. Denying the truth also lengthens the pain. The longer we deny it, the longer we hide it, the longer we're slaves to it. I was seeing a counselor, I, I don't know, six, seven years ago, and uh, anyway, I don't know, we're about, we're about three or four months in. And anyway, he gives me this test and he says, take this home. I want you to fill it out. And I got home. I'm filling this out. I thought, man, if I, if I fill this out, honestly, he's going to think I'm depressed. I'm seeing a counselor for like three or four months, like twice a week. And so instead of circling eight and nines, I just went back and circled six and sevens. It's all relative, right? You know? We sat through that whole session. I walked in, I gave it to him, he put it in his bag, and we sat through that whole session, you know, and man, I'm just feeling guilty because I cheated, you know. <laughs> and finally, at the end of it, I said, hey, I got to tell you something. I wasn't honest on, on that, that depression test you gave me. He said, Scott, it wasn't so I'll know you're depressed. It was so you'll know you're depressed. See, I was denying the truth. I was denying the truth that I had a problem, that I had an issue. And in denying the truth, I was just lengthening the pain. Jesus said in John 8, 32, He said, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, if you go to verse 34, it's not on the screen. Jesus said, I'll tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And a slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you're truly free. 
And freedom is what we all want. Now, listen, I know without a doubt we're going to struggle with sin at some point. And, and, and listen, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, and he'll purify us from all unrighteousness. And I'm thankful for that. But we don't have to be trapped by it. We don't have to be trapped in the throes of anger or, or depression. See, Jesus not only forgives sins, but he also empowers us through the help of others, through his Holy Spirit, to live righteously. I'm reading a book by, by John Wesley. Some of you know that name. Um, but it's, he says this, be of good cheer. He said, your sins are forgiven, so forgiven that they may no longer rule over you. I want that. You want that. You know what that's called? It's called freedom. Freedom's all what we all want to experience. Hey, I'm going to invite uh, Tara Barton to come up. And uh, she is going to share her testimony. I'm going to grab this for you, Tara. And um, I want you to hear Tara's testimony. Thank you, Tara. Thank you, Scott. Hey, church family. My name's Tara. I'm a grateful believer, and I struggle with codependency. Hey. Today I want to share with you what God has done in my life through Celebrate Recovery and how he has transformed my mind from a place of chaos to a place of peace. Before recovery, I lived in a cycle of insanity, chasing a party lifestyle that was full of dead-end roads and empty places. My insanity cycle began as a teenager and carried on into my 20s. As a codependent people pleaser, I was often the doormat in most of my relationships, especially romantic relationships. I would give all I had, and each time I would end, it would end, I would walk away used, empty, and full of anger and shame. At 23, I became a single mom, and my perspective and priorities shifted, but my relationships continued to be toxic. My relationship with God was distant and at times almost non-existent. I was saved as a teenager. I had grown up in, my, in a family my whole life, a Christian family. I knew what God wanted and expected for my life, and that Jesus had died on the cross for my sins, but the shame and guilt of my lifestyle made me run further from Him for years. In February of 2009, I was at the end of another dead-end relationship. My alcoholic boyfriend was arrested, my car was impounded, and during all of that, I was home asleep with my son. The next morning, I attended a birthday party with my best friend, for her son, and she said, come to Celebrate Recovery with me. Just try it. What do you have to lose? I was just broken enough to come and see what it was all about. Principle one states, realize I'm not God, admit that I'm powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing, and that my life is unmanageable. My life was unmanageable, and I was willing to give CR a try. I would like to say that's when my perspective shifted and my life became wonderful. That's not the case. I sat at Celebrate Recovery for a couple of years, not sure about what my place was or even if I belonged there. After two years of sitting in large group, listening to teachings and testimonies and sharing minimally in group, my family had some problems and my parents began attending. They quickly joined a step study and as I saw the changes in their life, I witnessed firsthand God work in a miracle in people that I had known my entire life that I didn't think could ever be any different than they were. God started to soften my heart. 
I joined a step study, and through the steps, principles, and confession, and fellowship, I found that God began to break down each layer of my shame and guilt and that he had, that had had me bound for so long. I found a worth and an identity in Jesus that I'd never felt before. I began to see myself as worthy, and in turn, that made my relationships healthy and functional. I was no longer the doormat or the people pleaser that I had always been. For the next several years, God gave me peace and comfort to live a single lifestyle. Recovery has helped me see the blessing of this and the safety in it. And when I was ready, God provided me a healthy, romantic relationship. Chad treats me with respect and sees me as the child of God that I am. And we just celebrated our one-year wedding anniversary in June. I'm thankful for the tools I have learned through step studies, learning the principles, reading God's word, and how to apply it to my life. Colossians 3 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. His word has changed my life. And as I use it, I can use it as a guardrail. I'm thankful for the fellowship and the friendships that I found at Celebrate Recovery, the accountability from my friends that sometimes is tough but needed. It's also welcome and it really proves that this is my forever family. Our hearts are knitted together and our common interest is Jesus. So if you're thinking Celebrate Recovery, is it really for me? Absolutely. We all have hurts, habits, and hangups. Are all mine fixed? No way. Do I still struggle? Every single day. But I have a peace and a freedom that I'm not walking through each day alone and no longer live unmanageable life. Attending Celebrate Recovery helps me be able to accept the things I cannot change. It gives me the courage to change the things I can, and it definitely helps me live a reasonably happy life, far beyond the life I had before I knew Jesus and started working on my core issues. I would encourage you to come out and join us on Thursday. What do you have to lose? Thank you for letting me share. You know what? It's not easy uh, to get up here, but I'm going to tell you who the freest person in the room is right now. It's Tara. It's Tara. When you can get up and go, hey, this is me. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ who struggles with and whatever it may be. But man, that's freedom. That is freedom because you're not having to hide, not having to wear a mask. Um, one of the things I love about Celebrate Recovery, now you don't have enough time for that. That would be another, another sermon. But I think she said it really well. It's a place every Thursday night at 7 o'clock where people help you walk through what we're talking about. They just help you walk through what we're talking about. Taking these, these biblical script, these, uh, scriptures, these biblical principles, and just somebody just who loves you and accepts you and just walks out. And I'll say this, it's a lot of, lot of uh, tears maybe, but there's a lot of fun and a lot of love. I'm going to tell you something. We always say it's the best place to be on a Thursday night, and I believe that with all my heart. You know, So I want to challenge you. Come on out. And I'm going to tell you something. COVID did a number on our community, not just our nation, but on our community. And I'm so thankful that God put in place a ministry like Celebrate Recovery that we didn't have to create that was already there, already prepared to help with some of these issues that are skyrocketing. So what do we do? What do we do? And we step into the light. We step, like Terry, we, we just step into the light. He says, but if we're living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other 
And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. The blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. You know what? The most vivid picture you get of Jesus, if you read through the Gospels, and if you've never done that, I want to encourage you to do that, but if you read through the Gospels, the most vivid picture you get of Jesus is how He moves toward, touches, heals, embraces, and forgives those who least deserve it, yet truly desire it. That's Jesus. He moves towards those who feel like they least deserve it, but truly desire it. What do we begin? Step one. We admit that we're powerless over our addictions and compulsive behaviors, and that our lives have become unmanageable. Hey, would you stand with me? We're going to do something different these next three weeks. Uh, we're going to close out by reading the serenity prayer. Now, some of you have heard part of this before, but you maybe have not seen the whole thing. But before we do that, can we just thank Tara one more time for sharing her story? Thank you. Read this along with me. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change Courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, taking this world as it is, and not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will, so that I may be reasonably happy in this life, and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. Hey, you know what? It's been great seeing you this week. Thank you for checking us out online. Hey, come out Thursday night, 7 o'clock. We're going to invite you to do this also, too. You're going to hear a lot about step studies. We're offering some new step studies coming this month, so you're going to hear more about that. And also, too, hey, see you next week. Have a great week. Once again, just want to thank you for checking out the Eastridge Church East Campus podcast. I hope there was something of benefit to you in this message. And like I said at the beginning, if anything, it just makes you aware to be on the lookout for things that can creep in as a result to these traumatic events, these aftershocks. I want to highlight a ministry real quick that we have here at Eastridge called Celebrate Recovery. If you're dealing with any of these things you heard in this message, depression, substance abuse, sexual addiction, um, anger, codependency, really anything that's keeping you from being the person that God's created you to be. There's awesome tools at Celebrate Recovery. You can check those out at eastridge.church. And if you're listening to this message and you're not um, a member of this church or you're not in the Newton County, Georgia area, please reach out to us anyway so we can help you find a Celebrate Recovery ministry near you. You can reach out to us by filling out a connect card at eastridge.church slash connect card. That really is the easiest way and the best way to get connected with us at Eastridge Church. All right, guys, thanks again. And also remember, this is a three-week series, so make sure you check out all the messages. Okay, guys, take care.